to another episode of Real Estate Renovators, the show designed to help real estate agents, as Jason Cunningham would say, navigate through the proverbial shitstorm. Now, before we begin in introducing our guests, I want to introduce my fabulous co-hosts, Rexy to the right. How are you, Rexy? I'm fabulous. Yourself? Yeah, good. And Pistol Pete in the sky, as another <laughs> word Jason would say. How are you, Pete? Hey, Chanel. Hi, team. How you going? Good. good. Thank you. How's lockdown in Brizzy going, Pete? Are you surviving without uh, toilet paper? It's, it's actually not as bad as what is everyone's making out in the media. We're, we're fine. It's only three days and, you know, if it all makes everything run smoother and we don't end up with more cases, I'm happy to do whatever we need to do. Good to hear. Now, the question on everyone's lips before we begin is probably where is Jason Cunningham? Rex, where's Jason today? Uh, well, we can say it's at the beach or it's in rehab. I'm not sure which one we're going to go with at the moment. Uh, I feel like I'll get in trouble if I say rehab, but he may be in rehab. He's definitely in rehab, guys, unfortunately. <laughs> <Or the> beach, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Um, today's guest, we've got another guest with us. Uh, I don't think he needs any introduction, but I'll introduce him anyway. Adam Flynn. Um, most people in the real estate industry would know Adam Flynn. He's a franchisor, he's done courses, he's got multiple other businesses, and it's a pleasure for us to have him today. Adam, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rexy. Thank you, Chanel. Thank you, Pistol Peter. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> you like and, that? And thanks to Jason, who's in, uh, in, uh, in rehab. Actually, with with uh, with in Brisbane at the moment, have people gone mad on the toilet paper? Is that an actual thing in Brisbane? Uh, Adam, uh, there was lines at the shops yesterday, you know. And uh, what's really crazy is that we're actually all the grocery stores are still open. So why in hell they're actually you know, flocking to stores to buy stuff when shops are still open? But mate, you know, I had a mate and he called me and said, oh, I'm actually gone to stock up on toilet paper. I said, we're not friends no more. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I feel sorry for these Brisbane people. Us Melbourneites are just, you know, we're hardcore rookies now. Like, nah, we could go without toilet paper for months, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> now, enough shit talk, literally. Let's start with Adam. So, I know, I'm That's quite the good. dad joker. Adam, we want to start with getting to know a little bit about you. So, yeah. Adam's got a very interesting story about how it all began for him in real estate. Um, and he's not your traditional business owner or real estate agent. Um, I think we can tell just by looking at him, he's not your typical director. So can you start, Adam, by telling us where did it all begin for you in real estate? Like, tell us about your story. So um, behind the, the film crew, I'm, I'm getting told right now which camera to look into, but <laughs> one of the, uh, the filmers were just talking. She said, oh, you were at the, uh, the boxing gym. Um, uh, when was that? Last year or whenever Last, it was. Yeah. And um, when you came up, I was scared to like, you know, talk to you, but then I talked to you and you were a really good bloke, but looking at you, I was scared to talk to you. So thanks for the, I don't know if it's a compliment or what, <laughs> or, or, or what it is, but uh, that aside, so the journey was, um, I was kicked out of school in uh, about halfway through year 11. Um, for me, uh, school, I was, look, I was disruptive at school. I hated school. Um, so when I was 18, I got into real estate. And when I was at school, I knew I wanted to get into real estate. So I really didn't give a fuck about school because I knew that I wanted to get into real estate anyway. So at the age of 18, I got into real estate. Can I ask, Adam, sorry to cut yeah. you off, why did you know real estate? How did that happen? Was there a family member in real estate or how did that idea come to your mind? So I knew that the, the short answer is I knew I could earn reasonable coin without a tertiary education. Mm. So... Um, you know, I've always been all right talking to people and having a yarn. So I, um, yeah, I just thought I can, I can do that. Yeah. yeah. So at the age of 18, I um, got into real estate and then I was at a uh, independent agency for the first six years. Um, 
that ran the Gemini system. For agents out there who have been in the industry a long time, you'll know the Gemini system. What is a Gemini system? <clears throat> Fuck. <laughs> I've had some runnings with this bloke, so I won't, I won't go right in. So, okay. The, the, brief the, summary. Brief summary. All right. So, essentially, um, in the late 80s, early 90s, um, it was different then, yeah? Interest rates were at 18, 19%, and you had to gain loyalty from buyers um, as opposed to uh, getting listings because a lot of properties were multi-listed yep. and um, people weren't buying property. Yep. So um, this bloke, I'm not going to say his name, but this bloke came in and created a system, yep. And essentially he took the mainstream of what real estate was, did everything the opposite of it, and then called it a system. So if people did open for inspections, yeah. he did private appointments. If people did auctions, yeah, uh, he did, it was anti-auction. That's right, they don't auction at all, do they? <laughs> yeah, if, they, if, if the <clears throat> agents would pay commission, he would say, well, we're going to pay our agents a salary plus a quarterly base bonus. Um, so he pretty much just took a system, um, you know, in regard, if they charge marketing, we're no sale, no charge. So just did the opposite and called it a system. Yep. So anyway, um, most of those offices are now obsolete um, and everyone's gone back to a more mainstream, mm. um, real, well, yeah, effective. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but that aside, um, so for the first six years, I was in that environment and I was offered the business there. Um, but I wasn't interested in owning that business. And then I went, um, for Victoria-based agents, I know this is a national um, show that we're doing here, but uh, for the Victoria-based agents, uh, Barry Plant uh, Network in Victoria is a fairly strong group. So I became a sales manager at a neighboring office uh, there. And then um, oh, to go right into it, then uh, Ray White offered me an office and I said to the existing directors, look, I've been offered this office you know, you've got to make me a partner. And they made me a partner. So I became a director of that office uh, at the age of 24 and we were the second highest performing Barry Pat office in uh, in Victoria. At 24, you became yeah. a director? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So now I was there for um, six or seven years. And um, for with real estate businesses, it's all about territory. Well, a lot, not all of it. A lot of it is about territory. Mm. Yep. So um, where my office was in Baronia, there was... Barry Plant Baronia, we had Barry Plant Bayswater, Barry Plant Monterna, Barry Plant uh, Roville. And I wanted to run a big business. And uh, from a territory point of view, I didn't have a big enough territory for me to be able to write the figures that I was writing. And also I've got my own ideas in regards to training. And that's probably my strong, my strongest skill set or you know, what I do really well is train. Um, mm. So long story cut short, I sold my shares from that business and I opened up a business across the road, uh, which yeah. was which was stock. I had to pay a shitload of money because it was breach of restraint of trade. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's, like, it's, it's not all sort of, you know, it's not all, sort of fun and games. But anyway, I paid that and um, I bought a Stockdown Lego business and I rebranded it to Biggin and Scott Knox and I secured the entire city of Knox as an exclusive territory. Um, and uh, that was nine years ago. And um, yeah, the growth was, you know, exponential. Uh, but I guess where- But you went from that as well, from my understanding, uh, you not only secured that area, you secured a sub-franchisor and took the whole <coughs> Southeast corridor of Big and Scott. Yeah, yeah. So what happened was, so um, the first office, so when it was the old office, um, Stocky's office, and this is no disrespect to, the, to that network, but that office was shit. Yep, they hadn't evolved, they hadn't grown. They were writing about $500,000 a year in GCI, the entire mm. 
business. I had a good rent roll, about 550 properties under management, but the sales business was fucked. So bought the business, I then rebranded as Bigness Got Knox. In our first 12 months, we wrote 2 million fees, second uh, year, 3 million fees. So the growth was like 600%. Wow. It was wow. it was exponential. So How did you do that? <coughs> How did you go from a $500,000 office to a $2 million office in 12 months? Yeah, okay. So when I first started, it was just me and this bird called Marie uh, from Pocket Stewart. And there was really nobody else. Yeah, uh, I didn't want to poach any the old staff from across the road. I wanted to start new and do it properly. Mm. So um, when uh, a lot of the young pups in the area, when they realised that I had bought the business and rebranded Big and Scott, they were like, "Oh, Flinny, can we come work for you?" And I was like, "Yeah, fuck no worries. But a lot of them, uh, they were very green. Yeah, they had no idea what they were doing. Essentially, they, yeah. were, they were sales assistants for to, yeah. to lead agents. They were doing open for inspections. Yeah. They were prospecting, but they knew fuck all. So I thought, well, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to train them on my listing presentation, um, and I'll just train them exactly the same way that I do it. Mm. And what I found by going through this process, which leads to your answer, the answer to your question in regards to the, the sub franchise, is that I was training weapons. Yeah, I was training pups with who were like 19, 20 years old. Mm who had fuck all experience, but then were going out and just replicating, just plagiarizing what I was giving them, which I wanted them to do, yeah. finding human beings to do it to, and they were slaying, you know, 20 veterans, yeah? So with the growth, so I was training these guys, and I had, you know, some five, $600,000 riders real quick. Um, From these 19, 20 Yeah, years. yeah, 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 yeah. And, um, and then um, uh, the corporate entity said, look, we want you to be a partner, um, at corporate, but they didn't want my business partner at that stage. So, well, that's fucking, you can't sort of do that. He's mm. my business partner. I'm going to be spending time doing stuff there and it's away from the business. It has to be, you can't, you can't do that. Yeah. Anyway, so they said, no, nah, we don't want him. And, um, I, and then we negotiated the sub franchise network. So at that point there was just Knox. And I think, look, to be honest, I think it was a bit of tokenism. I thought, fuck, this guy's good. He can train good people. He's good for the group. He's got so, you know, so he's on social media. Mm. We, maybe a brand that was maybe not as vibrant was becoming more vibrant. Yeah. So we wanted to fucking put the gold handcuffs on. Yeah. Yep. So, but it worked. I, I, I think, don't think they thought it was going to go as mental <clears throat> as what it did. Yeah. And then a lot of my boys from Barry Plant, they got wind. They started rebranding to Bigger Than Scott. Wow. So it went from one office. We've now got 14 offices inside five years in the sub-franchise, which represents pretty much half of the Bigger Than Scott network. So Glenn Waverley opened. Um, my, my boy, Lukey Lawler from Frankston, rebranded from Barry Plant Frankston to Bigger Than Scott Frankston. He then opened Seaford. My mate Stan from Barry Plant Cranbourne rebranded to Big and Scott Cranbourne, opened up Berwick. It's got butterfly effect, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Corey, my boy from uh, Barry Plant, Keysborough, uh, opened up his own office, Big and Scott Keysborough, opened up uh, Keysy in Springvale. So All happens. Yeah. Speaking of butterflies, who fly up high in the sky, we've got Pistol Pete in the sky who's got a... A question for you here, Adam. <laughs> How did you know he had a question? I could see his little fingers raising up. Oh, Not little fingers, no. big, big yeah. hands raising up in there. <laughs> big hands, big gloves. Yeah. <laughs> Every time. Oh, <laughs> Every time. Gloves. <laughs> it's Jason's job to flirt with Pete. Not I'm not flirting with Pete. <laughs> <laughs> Too funny. 
Adam, I'd love to know, you, you've spoken a lot about sales in your journey of success. Has property management been on the radar in that journey and, and, and part of that growth and success of you today? Yeah, good question. So I was pretty um, fucking stupid when I was younger. I didn't really <laughs> <Yeah>. pay attention. <laughs> not, not a lot has changed, but Say it out really I, 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 didn't, um, I didn't pay a lot of attention to the property management side of the business, yep, which was which was dumb. Because, uh, you know, for those of you who do know, you'll know that it represents pretty much the majority of the, of the looking at this camera, yep, of the, um, of the asset of the, the business, um, if not all of the asset of the business. And when I was younger, I did some developing, property development, and the sales business was earning good coin, and I just really didn't give a shit about the property management side of things. When I bought the previous business at Big and the Scott, uh, sorry, at Stockies and then rebranded Big and the Scott, I guess I had matured at that point in time. And, I, and for those of you out there, you, you need to be, this is probably a, an important lesson. Um, you know, banks love rent rolls, um, you, you know, and once again, as the asset of a business, uh, it, it works in a couple of different ways. Firstly, it's reoccurring income, especially with a shit storm like COVID that's really come into play. Um, so when I, uh, started Big and Scott Knox, I really placed a, a strong focus on that. So at the moment, we're sitting at just over 1,200 properties under management. When I bought the business, it was 500 or in the 500. So the growth has been really good. Mm. Um, and also, not it's not just the income and it's not just the asset of the property management business. It's also the sales commission that gets derived from that portfolio as well. So mm. roughly 10% of properties will come on the market mm. per year. So if you're looking at, you know, a portfolio of let's say a thousand properties and if 10% come on, if your average commission is, you know, let's say ten to fifteen thousand dollars, you're looking at a million dollars in GCI just from that portfolio alone, mm. just from it being there. Um, and I think as time goes on, the bigger will get bigger and the smaller will get smaller. So looking at opportunities for <coughs> acquisitions, uh, for people who want to be in real estate a long time, uh, looking for acquisitions of other businesses and rent rolls is a smart idea because essentially you're taking their rent roll and you're taking that competitor out of the marketplace as well. Um, and organising, you know, you can do very, and, and Rexy can, you know, help you with this side of things. But you can do very smart and intelligent ways of purchasing where it's longer settlements and rebranding in the meantime. And there's lots of intricate ways you can do it that are very, very intelligent and good strategic moves um, on acquiring portfolios. Got you. I want to draw it back. So something that you mentioned that I think a lot of directors that are watching this show would be really interested in is that you're taking young kids off the street yeah. and turning them into half a mil GCI riders. Yeah. How, in, in what, what what is your training model? Like, are you looking for a particular kind of person? I think there's or do you have more to it as well. From my understanding, you've taken people from different industries as well. Friends of yours from different industries, from printing to um, smoke alarm salesmen. Yeah. And made in the top agents within the... But a lot of directors do this, Rexy, but they just can't seem to get them to get their shit together. Like, I don't know if it's a lack of training or they're hiring the wrong kind of people, but we pull people from all different industries that could have the right attitude, put them in the office, and they fail. Okay. So is it, Adam's hiring... got the track record of it. So I he's know. done it so, so how's many he doing times. It? Like how many number one agents have you you've had every year if it's a different person that you've trained? Every, yeah, okay. So, <clears throat> all right. There's a couple of different aspects to this. Firstly, and with... All due, which one when I'm talking to the crowd? Yeah, okay. So with all yeah. due respect to the principals out there, I'm not having, okay, gotcha. I'm not having a crack at you. But the reality, that's a nice smile. But the reality is a lot of principals can't train their people 
because they don't know what the fuck they're doing themselves. Um, and that's no disrespect, but they haven't got a listing presentation. They just get business because they've been in an area for a long period of time and they're sort of dinosaurs in the area and you sold mum's house 30 years ago so we'll list with you. Do you think they also just use the same structure that's coming from corporate? So everyone's just getting the same structure and then they're just spreading it across the front. Like do you think that's a problem as well? They're not I, being unique or personalizing it? I think, no, well, no, I think, okay, so I think that, um, okay, so with my presentation, right, so all and I, the way the training program works, like it's it's full on, right? So what they do is like it's so detailed to the point where we start at the very first phone call, how long the first phone call goes for, mm. what questions they ask and so forth, to where they park their car when they arrive at the property, to when they knock to on where the front. Where should they park their car? car? So if they've got a, a shit car, don't park it at the front because people <laughs> are going to be judgmental. Yeah, and whether it's true. conscious or subconscious, they're going to make um, judgments uh, or assumptions based on the competency of the agent based on the car they drive. Yeah. If you've got a nice car, fucking park on their kitchen bench. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and in regards to, you know, when they knock on the front door, how far they stand back from the front door to wow. when they then go into the house, their seating position. So um, men shouldn't sit, men agents, uh, shouldn't sit at the head of the table because insecure men will think you're trying to rip their manhood away. So all these things. Where did you get this information? I just from? developed it over over 20 years of being in real estate. Wow, but what I found from go. from teaching guys this this process is that um, this one again, uh, <laughs> teaching guys this process is that I was training weapons and it was foolproof. Like this, the, the listing presentation is the most important thing in real estate. Yeah. Um, because if you're training good listers, then you've everything else sorts itself out. You've got sales, you've got landlords who are going to buy, your rent roll grows. So it's all about getting the stock. Mm. It's all about listing. So, um, so what I did was train each person through this process where they, you know, the seating position, what drink they ask for, tapping into the traumas, so discussing with the clients, yeah. then discussing the full marketing methods and leading to a case study and all. So it was like a roadmap to success. And all they needed to do was learn it and replicate it and then do it to people. What you've got then is a tangible business model because it's scalable. Mm. So, so if you just train people this presentation, if they're training their assistants, salespeople are training their assistants to then do it, the assistants can be out there listing properties on behalf of the salespeople so they can create their own businesses inside the existing business. Got you. Um, so with back to the question of, of the directors, a lot of directors can't do that because they don't know, they don't have a presentation. Yeah. Yep. They haven't sat down to formalize yeah, it. Yeah, they even, don't have any. Even, don't, yeah. Yeah. even drawing it before that, Adam, when you've got, is there a particular kind of person that you look for? Like, is there, a, when, you, when you're meeting with a candidate or a potential sales agent, yeah. is there certain skills that you're looking for or certain kind of behaviors or personalities that you're looking for that would work best with this <sighs> training program? Or okay. are you confident you could take anyone off the street, put them through this training program, and they'll be a top writer? Yeah, I'm confident I could put them anybody through it. Yep. Wow. And it's, it's interesting. So, so, Two, two parts. Firstly, once they go through the training, they have to sit a role play examination process whereby they have to do the first phone call, go to a house, do the appraisal. I'm sitting in the back, they're going to do it to two mock vendors and they don't pass that presentation, they can't go and do an appraisal by themselves. Wow. And then they have to then take an, another agent with them and they lose half their commission because the other agent's gone with them. So it's a very, it's a good incentive for them to fucking get their shit together. Yeah, yep. And the only way they can do it is if they role play at home and practice because you can't fake it in that environment especially no. presenting to your peers you know because everyone sort of knows because they've all been trained the same way 
So as far as what people to hire, look, I've hired people who should have been good, but they make me fucking dickheads. They've been useless, their attitude's been shit, they've had all the potential in the world, but they've got no, they're, they're just weak as piss. Yeah. They've got no ticker, got no yeah. heart. So you can train anybody on anything, but if they're just, they you know, attitude. yeah, if they're just <clears throat> shit, yeah. you know, then they're just shit. Yeah. Um, so but if you find somebody with the right attitude, who's like uh, hungry, um, and you, I find that you don't really know until they're off the bench and on the court. Because mm. they can say, everyone talks this big game, fucking, I'm going to do this, and rah, 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 yeah. It's like, yeah, right, no dramas. But until they're actually out there in the field and you can see how much they're prospecting, yeah. you know, what door knocking they're doing, um, how much, you know, how hungry they are. Is that all part of your program, though? The door knocking, the prospecting? <laughs> so, so for me, um, th there is aspects to it, but for me, it's all about the listing presentation. And I want to, people overcomplicate real estate. It's really not fucking complicated, hmm. you know. You find somebody who is thinking about selling their house. You give them a compelling argument as to why she come to the market now as mm. opposed to later. You present a good listing presentation. It then goes onto the market. Salespeople are not skilled. There's no skill in selling a house unless you're like a you build a relationship with a property developer because the reality is if you're a good lister, you're going to be a good salesperson by yeah. default because your name's on the internet, you're standing at the open for inspection, you're getting all the fucking inquiry. So there's no, a monkey can sell a house. Yeah, that's the so true. The skill is in being a strong lister. And so, I think it's hunger. That's something that you mentioned. I think that's the number one thing. You, you need to have hunger. And speaking of hunger, uh, Brisbane's in a three-day lockdown and Pete has no food and he's got a question for you as well, Adam. <laughs> it's good you're keeping an eye on people. Yeah, yeah. on my radar. Yeah. Thanks, Nell. Hey, Adam, um, I'm really interested to find out, like with those systems that you spoke about, a lot of it was, you know, you spoke a lot about face-to-face. -face. Through that COVID period, what are the things that you taught your people uh, um, how to do what they did previously face-to-face when they couldn't, like, can you give us some maybe five things that you said to your teams about COVID and how to actually get listings, say virtually or without the ability to be in front of people? Yeah, so it's all the same. Look, okay, so with just a quick overview in regards to listing presentation, and if you're selling, this is selling anything, if I was gonna sell this table, it's a bloody nice table that the, <laughs> the, the, the laptop's on, but it's all about, I believe that, that the listing presentation that's been designed, you could sell literally anything by using the same process. So whether it be a Skype or whether it be in person, the process is the same. So um, the, the first one is obviously setting positions and so forth isn't important when you're on Skype, but um, is building rapport and tapping into the traumas. So um, have you, you know, have you sold before? How is the experience? Um, when you last sold, what sort of selling method did you use? So still go through that whole same process taking notes when they give you all that information, simply repeat that back to the client. So if I was selling this table, so when's the last time you bought a table? What was, you know, what was it that attracted you to that particular table? Same thing, selling anything, it's the same thing. Um, repeat back to the client what they've just told you. So last time you sold was five years ago, you sold via an auction method. Um, it was a fairly seamless experience. You weren't overly happy with the price, um, but you know you were, you were fairly content with it. At this point in time, you're looking at moving towards the beach because the kids have all gone. Repeat back their life to them so they think, okay, I'm this is really, the agent gets me, they're involved, mm. yeah. Mm. Um, and then, you, so you've got an understanding in regards to their goals and their wants and their, their needs. Um, then you move to the, to the marketing method. So all the same, it's all the same way. Um, I think also what's important is that with 
the listing presentation, one thing I do is a little bit different is that majority of agents will try and close on the first presentation. So they'll go through it all and they'll try and close because of one of two reasons. One is fear of loss. They're scared, oh, I need to fucking, you know, uh, sort this out here and now. Or two, it's laziness. They're like, I don't want to come back here. Now, I think they, they maybe neglect to have an understanding that meeting, that, you know, that meeting can be a $15,000, $20,000 commission. Yeah. So for that hour and a half or two hours work, you're earning 20K com. And also that listing then leads to the next listing and the next listing because the vendors then pay advertising, which advertises you as the agent. So there's all these other benefits by getting that listing. So with the, the presentation, whether I was doing it on Skype or in person, I would get to a point where I would, um, because the things that they want from you is what it's worth, what do you reckon it's worth, and um, what do you charge? They're the two things that the vendor wants. Once you give them that information, you've lost all power. There's no reason for you to be back in front of them. So I train the guys on don't close on the first presentation. So once you've gone through it all, um, the whole presentation, is you then say, look, I'm gonna take 24 hours to do some more homework and put together a suggested course of action in regards to your particular property. Um, I'm gonna to put together an advert on how I think the property should actually read. Um, you know, when we put it to the marketplace, they love that. Um, so you do all this work before authority is signed? You know, I go back for Prez 2 and say in the last 24 hours, um, I've been putting all this information together and I've been playing with an advert. This is how I think the advert should read. At that point, you've pretty much got the business. Mm. And what that has given the vendor is the opportunity because a, a partnership, um, you know, the, the, the vendors have had generally a conversation prior to you being there. And that conversation is along the lines of, no matter how good the agent is, we're not gonna get forced to sign something today. So like that's, they don't wanna feel uncomfortable, whatever the case might be. So agents that push those buttons can rub them up the wrong way. If you've gone in there and been very, very impressive, had control of the whole presentation, mm. and said, I'm gonna go away now and put all this information together, you haven't asked for any business yet. That gives them the opportunity to say, fuck, he was good. If he comes back tomorrow and we're happy with what he's got to say, are you comfortable to go with him? Yeah, well, I'm comfortable to go with him. He was really good. When you come back, you're gonna be, you, you impress them again, then you can get higher commissions, mm. whatever advertising you want, because they've, you've given them the, um, the respect of being able to have that conversation in the absence of you being there mm. without you grabbing them around the throat and saying, sign here. Yeah. So the presentation, whether it's in person or on Skype would be exactly the same. I'd run through the process and I'd say, uh, let's schedule a Skype in for five o'clock tomorrow. I'll put all this information together. Uh, and if they ask me questions at that point in time, um, you know, well, what do you think it's worth? Because I don't want to answer that question. Or what do you charge? Just deflect those questions. So look from 95, the industry was deregulated. Um, anywhere between two and 4% is where agents will sit. Uh, rural areas tend to be higher because the average selling prices are lower. Inner city areas tend to be lower commissions because the average selling prices are higher. In the next 24 hours, I'll put some really good thought in regards to your particular property. And when I see you tomorrow or on Skype or in person at five o'clock, I'll run through what I'd advise is a good suggested fair uh, fee structure. It's a logical way of answering it. I've said plenty, but I haven't said anything at all. Uh, in regards to price, same thing. Well, what do you reckon it's worth before you go? Just a quick mm. one. You know, Look, how long's a piece of string? Because everybody thinks their property's unique. Uh, you've got a really unique property here, but now that I've seen inside the house, being the first time I've seen inside it, I'll do some really good homework, and then when I'll see you tomorrow at mm. five o'clock, I'll give you a really detailed understanding in regards to you know what the property's worth. Okay, fantastic. So, which are both logical answers to that question. Because they shouldn't be choosing an agent based on who's the cheapest and what the agent said it's worth. 
they should be choosing the agent based on who, which agent has shown them a strategy that is going to get them the highest possible price. Mm. Because no agent can say it's worth X amount. Because if they get, looking at that, you just you know you just cook the price every time. Say it's worth fucking hundred thousand dollars more than what it's worth. So where do you think most agents or young agents now are really fucking it up? Do you think it's that they're trying to close in in the in the first listing presentation? Like where is the biggest mistake most young agents are making, and why is there such a massive turnover in the real estate industry, particularly with young sales agents? Training. I just think they, they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and which part though? Which part do you think, like, is it, is it the listing presentation and, and cl- trying to close in it? That's where you think the, the, the biggest mistake's being made? Okay, give an example. So I've just said two <coughs> things. Don't talk about price and don't talk about uh, your fee structure. Yeah. Mm. Mm. A lot of these young agents that go in there, they think they don't understand selling. Mm. So they think it's about price and fee structure. So they'll go in there and they'll they'll bring comparables. Comparables are fucking stupid. Bringing comparables and saying, oh, the one down the road sold for six hundred thousand dollars in the first five minutes. So that leads that opened up Pandora's box for the vendor to go, oh, what do you think your is worth? Because you've opened that price question. But a lot yeah. of these agents, that's what they do. You know, they um, they think they're going to win business based on uh, price and fees. Mm. And even then, if they do get the business. It's fucking shit fees. That, you know, you may as well not even do it. Do you think half of these young agents are just shitting themselves because they're worried if they don't hit their retainer, they're going to get let go? Do you think that's another issue as well? Well, yeah, that, but and also just bad training. Yeah. Because, you know, a lot of, even some of the trainers out there, they've got no fucking idea what they're talking about. Mm. And they're, they're training people on, on, how to do real estate. It's like, mate, you've got no fucking idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've reached out far threshold here. Yeah. So, we're only like three bucks in one episode. They've got no idea what they're talking about. Like, yeah. you know, there's been, I had, um, I remember, what was it? There was a trainer. Um, you may not want to mention names. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I won't mention names. No, I won't mention names. Beep it out, beep it out. It was years ago and he, um, essentially, he, uh, he, He's, uh, I, he's a well-respected trainer in the industry. I don't think he's ever been in the industry, but he's a well-respected trainer yeah. in the industry. Yeah, one of those ones. And um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But he said, he spoke about, um, you know, whatever he was saying was talking about talking about price within the first sort of 10 to 15 minutes. That's what it was. Sorry. It was just, he goes, so what are you after? What do you want from me today? This is his training, right? It's fucking stupid because... The client will then say, oh, we just want to know what it's worth and what you charge. Look, you don't want to answer those questions. So you want to steer the presentation around where you can tap dance Mm. for long enough so that you can show them you're a gun. It sounds like you're building a rapport from as well. You're understanding what they need and building that rapport so they trust you. Yeah. And, you know, it's not... um, like my presentation is done on a pen and a pad and writing. I don't sit there. When I was with my last network, they wanted to bring out this like vacuum cleaner listing presentation, like you're selling a vacuum cleaner, like a flip chart. No. Well, I've got no fucking one doing that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're selling hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of real estate, not a bloody uh, a Dyson fucking 500. <laughs> it's not happening. So it's personal. Yeah. And any good presentation should be, pre- any highly competent presentation should always be presented in a conversational manner. Yeah. How do you deal with these some rogue agents that will give vendors false hope about really high prices, low commissions, get an authority sign and then work them down? Yeah. So I guess, you know, in regards to, let's say there was a situation where um, I was competing with another agent and it came down to the two of us and they said, well, the other agent said that they would do it cheaper and they said it was a higher price. I'd be straight up. So look, if you honestly think that they're a more competent agent than myself, I'd say list with them. 
you know, I, I don't I don't believe that's the best the best decision that you could make. But at the end of the day, you've got to look at yourself uh, as as hiring somebody who essentially is a negotiator, mm. who's going to negotiate on your behalf. Mm. Okay, because mm. um, when I'm sitting across from the, the the table from the buyer, or, or they are, that's what you're wanting. Someone yeah. who's going to negotiate and get you know every single last penny mm. out of the market. Mm. So the reality is that if you feel that other agent is more competent than I am, then go with them. But if they're, respectfully, if they can't even negotiate a fair fee for themselves, how the fuck are they gonna negotiate a good price or selling price with your home? Mm, yeah. Really true. <laughs> something else that we really wanted to touch on as well, Adam, and something that's quite new age with a lot of agents is the importance of social media and, and brand marketing and yeah. marketing yourself on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and all these social sites. And I know that's something Pete was really wanting to to sort of question you on or speak to you about, which is your social media presence. So yep. I'll let you ask the questions, Pete. Thanks, Chanel. Adam, you're, you're extremely active on social and, and I've, I've noticed of late that you've got this personal passion around truth. Where does yeah. that come from? And, and why, why is that topic so at the heart of a lot of what you talk about lately? Yeah, I think it's, um, yep. Okay, so I think it's, it comes down to um, uh, being, People can see through bullshit. I think as, as society, um, you know, ticks along, people are looking for authenticity um, and just cut the fucking bullshit and just be straight up um, in regards to dealings with people. So, and look, the first, um, you know, the first sort of 10 to 15 years of real estate, I went actually longer than that. I went really hard, yeah. I was just like uh, head down. I didn't really take a, um, a broad look of you know probably what's important um and I, look you know and on reflection when i had boston uh, who's my son by the way who's turns three in feb um but that sort of opened up a few um, i guess my eyes to what was important um and um and sort of now i sort of make a lot of time for for him and I've, i'm not listing and selling i haven't listed and sold in, in sort of three years or thereabouts. so a lot of my message is about authenticity and about fucking no bullshit um, and you know, calling a spade a spade, um, and um, yeah. So that's what before this video started, Peter sort of asked, "Well, can I mention this?" And I said, "I'm an open book. Ask me whatever you want. Mm. I'll give you an honest answer." Um, and that's um, so. Yeah, I guess that's probably where it, where, where it comes from. Because whatever I speak, whether it's going to rub somebody up the wrong way or not. I don't give a fuck because that's my truth and that's me being authentic. And that's why towards the end, I couldn't do one-on-one one with staff. You speak, about, you speak about, you know, um, you wish you would have known about PM when you first started in, in real estate. You know, if you were to talk to Adam Flynn, you know, when you did start, is there anything other than property management that you'd tell him to keep an eye on or do maybe do differently? Yeah, so... So that's a good question. So one, well, year one, you hit the nail on the head, property management and being you know, uh, staunchly focused in regards to building that portfolio because that's the asset. Um, yeah. Number two is that if you're a salesperson and you're in it for the long haul, really strive to be a director because the reality is it's very rare that you're going to build serious wealth based on earning an income. So if you're not going to become a director of a real estate business, at least use the money you're earning to invest in real estate. Um, or stocks or yeah. whatever, you, as long as you know what you're doing in that space. Um, yeah. But if you're just a salesperson earning good money, you'll just piss it up against the wall unless you do it into something, put it into something else. You want to have an asset that's earning you an income whilst you sleep. Uh, yeah. Number three is uh, make sure that you have a good 
mentor, and it's not giving myself a plug, but fucking somebody who's going to teach you a just a kick-ass listing presentation. Because once you know that, it, it's it's you don't need to worry about anything else anymore. Whether you're hungover, you've got a cold, you're fucking you, whatever the case is, you don't need to think about it. You don't need to think about you know. Uh, look, I've seen China say, "Oh, you should look for a, a fish on the wall and talk about trout fishing." It's like fucking bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> fucking bull- They're not there to fucking talk about fishing. They're talking about getting a highest fucking selling price. It's not bloody <clears throat> Hawthorne Footy Club. Like so, so, so. You know, once you have a, a, a structured, replicable listening presentation that you can learn that from, all you need to do is just keep finding people and replicating it. Um, but that would be the most important thing. And the other thing that I've noticed today is that a lot of what you've spoken about is empowering other people. And it, you know, I, it makes me think that a lot of your success today has actually been the fact that you've empowered other people to actually support you. Would that be fair in saying? Yeah, I mean, well, what's, it, it, unless you, I mean, what's the point of getting into business if you want to do it all yourself? I'm not interested in doing that. So, um, you know, I, I guess it, the, I've surrounded myself, I'm, I know, what my um, strong points are, and I know yeah. what my uh, weak points are. So essentially, I've aligned myself with people like my business partner Danelle Hunt. She's she's a gun, and she's very good. And she's very detailed. What do you call her? Hollywood, isn't Hollywood, it? Hollywood, Hollywood. Yeah. She's like a fucking 150 pairs of shoes, um, <laughs> and she pays someone to walk a dog. Um, but so so she is very um, if from a, a, a broad point of view, I chunk up. So I'm like, we can do this, we can do that, we can do that. But none of that shit will happen unless somebody chunks down and goes, well, hang on, we need to dot that I and cross that T and, and so forth. So I'm aware of my shortcomings in that detailed space. Um, so I've aligned myself with Danelle, who's very good in that space. And we work really well together because we complement each other. As far as the salespeople go, yeah, I want to train weapons so I'm not sitting in lounge rooms. You know, so, um, so I'm, and also, but what that does to them, it gives them a push a roof on their head, it puts food on the table, it gives them the opportunity to travel the world, um, it gives them the opportunity to open their own business if they want to one day or hire an assistant and train them on the same thing. So, you know, you, you know what's that saying? Lead a, the fish, teach a fish, teach a person a to... horse to, to water, lead a what, horse to no, water. No, no, the other one. Drink. I think no. I just went two at the same time. <laughs> they're, they're, you can teach somebody to catch a fish for somebody and you feed them for one day, teach them the fish, you feed them for a lifetime. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I, I, that's I, exactly what you've done, though. Yeah. Not just with your internal salespeople, but all your franchisees. Yeah, 100%. All your franchisees. I know how much time and effort you spend with each one of them training their staff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, oh, sorry, Pete. I saw that one. Yeah. <laughs> Mate, you, yeah. when you were talking about your listing presentation, I want to go back to something you said before, and it's really stuck in my mind. You said, you know, when, when you're selling something like a table or a house, you, you're using the same system. I've noticed that you've actually, over the last couple of years, actually ventured out outside of real estate. Is that that same thinking? You know, if you're yeah. successful at real estate, you know, have your other ventures follow the same methodology of empowering other people. I notice that you're, you know, you're now into, you know, the restaurant, um, so pubs industry. Um, you've got a number of other businesses. Like, tell us a little bit about that side of your life. Yeah, so with, okay, so firstly with the bar, me and the boys used to drink there. So the bar's good, 
hoop sports bar to rip I come down. Um, so, um, so when we heard it was coming up for sale, I said to Danelle, because we had looked at buying the old Baroni post office years back and turning it into like a microbrewery. Um, but I had a blue with the managing agent, who's a dickhead, um, and he accepted Aussie disposals over us and they've now gone fucking belly up in that area and fucked off and didn't pay the rent. Yeah. You know, hindsight. Anyway, that aside, but this other bar came up, so we we, we, we took it. Um, for me, I'm not interested in... Um, look, I can earn good coin by listing and selling real estate. I'm not interested in doing that. I won't do it. You know, it's like some, saying to someone, not... I'm not, I'm, only, I'm not going to use that comparison, but I'm just not, do, I'm just not doing it, yeah? Because uh, I've been doing it for a long time. So as far as, um, yep. I guess I wanted to do things, I wanted to change. I wanted to do, I wanted to broaden my experiences um, and I wanted to do something different to anything that I had just known. So over the course of my journey, I had private messages from people in regards to do you do personal coaching and so forth. Um, so, and the answer um, up until recently was no. And I thought, fuck, I'm gonna look more into this. So I've started uh, training in the coaching space, but no, that's, that's completely different to listing presentation because that's more about, um, you know, trying to, in some cases, help people with sort of personal issues. Um, I'm not going, I'm not, I'm not a business coach as such. It's more of a, a um, it's, um, I wouldn't even say it's mindset. You know what? I, I'm probably going to answer that question properly in regards to exactly what kind of coach that I am because it's probably too infant in its whole journey just at this point in time. Um, but um, yeah, I'm getting into the coaching space. Um, and the bar's good. I like, I like spending time at the bar. I like, you know, talking shit to my mates at the bar. I like, you know, talking to the patrons at the bar. It's a good environment to be around. And I like that sort of environment. So, um, and look, I, one thing I'm excited about is the, the tech platform that we've launched, Miyagi Live. Um, so it's me and two other co-founders. And that's, I think it's got some real legs. That, that thing could be... Uh, that massive. looks exciting. Can I ask Adam, cool. over the last, you've, we've talked about you, you started in school, you've left, you've become a million dollar agent, 24, become a director, yep. multiple successful franchises. Yep. In the last decades of being in real estate, what's the worst thing that's happened? What's your biggest fuck up? What's your biggest mistake or the biggest lesson that you've learned? Yeah, it's, it's, look, it's a hard question because, you know, it's, it's always, there's never sort of a... Um, Actually, no. This, okay, I've got one. Okay. Got, this, this is a good one. Actually, this is a fucking, this is a really good one. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. All right. So, okay. So, so when, um, when, actually, this is a ripper. This is more so geared towards directors. If you're a salesperson out there, don't fucking do this. Uh, so, uh, be careful you mention, don't mention any names. I'm not mentioning any names. Yeah. No, fucking, <laughs> I won't fucking mention any names. Yeah, okay. Okay. So, like a footy club. At one point in time, we had a number of highly competent agents who were all riding between sort of $600,000 and a million dollars in GCI. Now, at that point in time, uh, this is about four or five years ago, um, and I was listing and selling, but I'd taken a sort of step back. And really, the business from the sales point of view needed a sales manager because I didn't want to do, I don't like doing one-on-ones because people talk shit and they say they're going to do stuff and don't do it. I'm like, why the fuck didn't you do it? And people start crying. So <laughs> I don't like it. So, so we're, we're around this table. I thought, okay, instead of giving somebody a role as a sales manager, what I'm going to, because then the other ones would get their niggas in a twist, yeah? Because like, why the fuck did I get the sales manager role? 
So I'm like, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make like a leadership team. Which at that stage, pretty much the whole business was good. Yeah, there was like two that were shit, but the rest were good. So like, there's like five of them in this leadership team. So I sat them all down. Said, look, this is a situation. Um, you know, you're valued in the business, and I wanted to empower them. Which meant empowerment. I wanted to empower them so they felt that they were recognised, which they were, um, and wanted, and um, yeah, they were an important part of the business. So I set up this leadership team. Yep where it was like, okay, so we're gonna catch up once a fortnight, we'll go out for lunch, we'll talk about what we can do in the business and so forth, just so, you know, stroke, stroke. Mm. Anyway, right, I said, directors, don't fucking do this. Anyway, I started noticing that these little shits <laughs> were then going and having having lunches away from the leadership meeting, right? I'm like, fucking here we go, right? Fucking little shits. And then, <laughs> and then they all, it was like an ambush, like a mutiny, right? They all came back and said, look, you know, we love the business. We want to grow with the business, fucking this and that. I'm like, yeah, here we go. Um, but we've been offered this by a different real estate agency. We want to renegotiate a commission uh... split. And then this one dickhead, and you know who you are if you're watching, he, he was like he was like the leader of the fuckwits, right? And had this like piece of paper and had his intricate fucking commission structure. And he read it out. I'm like, mate. Fucking, if I was to, you've got no idea what you're talking about. If I was to agree to that, there would be no fucking business, you dickhead. <laughs> anyway, we all women off of this by somebody else. So, well, fuck off then, go. Anyway, long story cut short, they all fucking left. In, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a two month window after that point in time, they all left, which I don't give a fuck. One of them came back and asked, that dickhead, the leader of the ones with the piece of paper, asked for his job back a year later to go get fucked. Um, <laughs> but that aside, that aside, what I would say is that be mindful of empowering a group of people together because you've done it from a goodwill point of view because you want to make them feel recognised. They actually believe that they're fucking really good and they fucking then, you know, can sometimes turn on you. So that would be my biggest mistake. Um, in uh, But also what it did was, you know, biggest mistake, but also been a benefit because it got fuckheads out of my life. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, fascinating story. I don't think this um, this episode's going to make our typical 6 p.m. slot time. Um, <laughs> we might not have an episode after this. We might get taken down. But it's been fascinating talking to you. Now, we have a special little segment. Um, it's when Pete goes from a caterpillar to a butterfly, a seed oh. to a sunflower, I would say, Rex. And he just comes to light. And that I is like Pete's it. cheat sheet. So, Pete, take it away with your cheat sheet. Chanel, thank you so much for that colourful intro. Adam made mention earlier the importance of rep role when building a business. So what we thought we'd do for this episode is actually build a checklist of nine things that you should check on a regular basis to ensure the healthier rep role whilst growing it. It's going to be available on realestaterenovators.com.au. Please visit there, download it, check it out. I'm sure you'll find it helpful if you're starting a rep role. And whilst you're there, you might want to join our mailing list. Back to you, Chanel. That's awesome, That's Pete. great, Pete. That's good, Pete. A lot of value. Well, I think we could make this into a two-episode series because I think Adam's quite fascinating and his story is incredibly fascinating as well. <laughs> There's probably a lot more to it as well. A lot more to it as well. But it's 27 degrees and everyone wants to get to the beach today. So that is it for our episode with Adam. Thank you so much Thank for taking so much. Thank you for having me. Time, Adam. Thanks, guys. We really appreciate it. And we'll see you next time on Real Estate Renovators.